God made us, He made you and I with a hunger, really a hunger for worship, to worship Him. And we, we try to fill that hunger with everything a lot of times, but what is really the only thing that can fill that? And I want you to just stop for a second this morning. I want you to think, when you think of Jesus, what goes through your mind? How hungry are you for Him? When you, when you think about Him and what He did, as we've been working through all these things we've seen, all these things Matthew has kind of laid out for us, we just, I don't think we see the risen Jesus for what He is a lot of times. I, I go to Moscow, Russia, and I stand in front of uh, in Red Square in front of St. Basil's Cathedral, and I'm in awe. I'm just like, wow. I'm literally, it, it almost takes my breath away, the architecture, the beauty. If you've ever been there, it's unbelievable. Or, or even when I'm out in the mountains of Colorado, I, I used to go speak every year at Beaver Creek. And I'd go to Beaver Creek, and they put us up in a condo, and I just look at the mountains. And they were, it was so grand. I mean, so big. It would just literally, I, I could sit there and just go, wow. This, I mean, it, it made me go, wow. And I can honestly say with Jesus, a lot of times I don't do that when I think of Him. But we should, because we were created to hunger for God. And Jesus is, an, uh, is this unbelievable picture of the love of God taking away our sin, all of the stuff, that we do in rebellion to the Almighty God, Jesus took it away, and that should take our breath away more than anything. But I think sometimes it'd be like me sitting in that condo with my windows closed, with all the mountains out there, right? All I got to do is open the window to see them. But instead, I'm on my iPhone looking at a picture of the mountains. And I'm going, wow, that's awesome. And I think that's what we do with Jesus sometimes. Instead of looking at the window that God has given us, we, we've got the windows closed and we're, we're trying to get a glimpse of Him through a message of somebody else instead of us really appreciating what He's done for us. The resurrection, guys, and that's where we are today. The resurrection is the greatest... I mean, that thing is the greatest event... I mean, nothing like that. Can you imagine? I mean, the body... I mean, for the guys who went and saw Gladiator Monday night, I, I, they, you, you saw those bodies. Back then, life was brutal. It was brutal during that time. And so here's a brutalized body up on the cross, beaten and then tortured, put in a tomb, and then three days later, it, it, it arises. That is something incredible. And I don't think our movies, I don't think our depictions and photos, it's kind of like trying to see it on an iPhone. We've got to ask God to reveal to us through the beauty of His Word and our own imagination. I, I just don't think we imagine really what it was like that day. And we get a good picture from Matthew here of what it is. And I, I find it very interesting that the first people he really appears to are women. And I don't know if you've thought much about that, but the women in that culture were the, the worst witnesses you could have. 
women were terrible witnesses. If you were making something up, you would not put them as the witnesses, the first witnesses to see this incredible event. But that's what God chose. And I think throughout Scriptures, you see God choosing women to be announcers of Messiah in ways that I hadn't really thought about till this past week. One guy said it, he said men tend to boast of what they accomplish where women boast of what God accomplishes. We do. If we're honest, you know, we, we tend to do that. So when you think about this, so we, we've been, for the last two weeks, we've looked at the crucifixion. Terrible, terrible, terrible illustration of the price of, of uh, sin. I mean, it's, it, it was the, the thing that happened to Jesus, most horrific thing that ever happened. And we saw, you know, in verse, uh, verses 1 through 26, when we went through this a few weeks ago now, how am I dealing with my sin? Everybody in here, all of us, have to deal with our sin. It's an it's a issue that one day we're going to have to stand before Almighty God and, and everything that we have ever done in our life, everything we have ever thought, everything that we were supposed to do that we didn't do, is going to be on a screen and we're going to have to give an account for it. And for some people, they're going to have a way to deal with that. And for some people, it's going to be all on their shoulders. How are we dealing with that? And we saw, what am I doing with Jesus? We saw that at the beginning because, that, remember what Pilate said? What am I to do with this Jesus? And I asked the question, what are we doing with Him? Then we went into... The, the crucifixion itself, we saw it is the remedy for our sin. It was on the cross where Jesus paid the price for our sin. The reason for suffering is, is the terrible price for sin. We saw, we saw He's the rescuer of our soul. And then last week we saw that the crucifixion shows what separation from God brings. Remember, it brings supernatural darkness. It brings spiritual death. When you are separated from God, it is the worst possible thing you could ever imagine. And you see some of the most horrific things in the world. All those things happen because of separation from God. And the snowball effect from the consequences of sin that happened when man and woman said, you know what, we don't need God anymore. We're going to choose to do what we want to do. And we do it every day. You and I do it every day. You and I do it every day. And, and it brings supernatural darkness and it brings spiritual death. But, the crucifixion also reveals what salvation from God brings. And we saw in the thief on the cross, what did he do? You know, he, he, he acknowledged he had a need, which is the first step. And then the second step is he acknowledged that Jesus was the only one that could meet that need. He looked to him, and I'm convinced if Judas would have come to Jesus instead of the religious leaders, Jesus would have forgiven him just like he did the guy on the cross. Because there's nothing so bad that his death won't take care of it. The only thing that he will not take care of is your rejection of him. That's it. But salvation we saw brought forgiveness and relationship. It brought spiritual power. Joseph of Arimathea ended up walking out of the shadows. Instead of being a shadow Christian, he became a public Christian when he went and asked for the body. You know that in uh, 1 Samuel 2, Hannah is the first person in the Old Testament to use the term Yeshua, 
You know that? Go back there and look in 1 Samuel 2 when she's singing and she's talking about, and the word is for salvation. It might translate in your text, but that word is Joshua or Joshua or Jesus. It's the same word. And so Hannah was one of the first ones used. In the New Testament, Matthew, I'm sorry, not Matthew, over in Luke chapter 1, when Elizabeth, Elizabeth meets Mary, it was not Zechariah who, who said, you know, this is, you got something blessed in your womb. The prophet, the priest guy, it wasn't him. It was Elizabeth who said that and went into praise. And then Mary, it wasn't Joseph who began singing praises. Have you ever wondered about that or thought about that? But it was women. And I wonder if in maybe some small way, I don't know why, but maybe could it be because it was a woman that led man astray in the garden and maybe God said, okay, I'm going to use a woman here. The woman of Samaria, He used that woman to go lead that whole city to Christ. Well, today, as we look at Matthew 28, we're going to see four things that the resurrection reveals. One, His power. There's no power like it in the universe. There's no power. If, if you took all, all of the militaries of the world, all the governments of the world, think of the most powerful thing. Think of a hurricane. All the power generated in a hurricane pales in comparison to the power to be able to take a life that has been dead for four days and to make that life not only renewed, but invincible. <coughs> to be able to walk through a wall. Think about that. To be able to just pass through. Wouldn't that be cool, Santoni? Just to be able to pop through the wall and not have to use the doors? That's some serious power right there. We don't think about that a lot of times. When we, you know, we, we limit God in so many ways in our life. But in the resurrection, we see a power revealed that is like none other in the universe. But also, we see His patience revealed in this section today. In a, a surprising way, and we're going to look at it in, uh, in this section, and we also see His purpose revealed. The resurrection, He reveals in this chapter today, through the resurrection, <clears throat> and he tells his disciples what their purpose is. You know, so many people go through their entire life and they don't know what their purpose is for even being here. At the end of their life, they're scratching their head going, I don't know why I'm here. If you know your purpose, it helps you get up in the morning. If, it, if you know your purpose, it helps you be able to make decisions that take you away from that purpose and put those decisions away and make good decisions. It's kind of like for a lot of us, here's what we do. And a guy at the FBI said this one time when we were doing the firearms training. He said for a lot of people, they just they shoot, you know, and then they, they go, they put the, the target up after they shoot to where they were shooting. <laughs> Instead of figuring out where you're supposed to be aiming and then shooting. It, it, it's like we, ready, shoot, aim is what we do a lot of times as men. And so... His purpose is really important for us to understand. He reveals that very clearly today through the resurrection. And then finally, we see His promise. And His promise is like a, a stamp. You know, He says at the end of 28, I'll always be with you. 
And the resurrection, the power that he shows in the resurrection proves that he's capable of keeping that promise. You know, you and I, we can make promises, but we can't keep them all the time. Because we don't have the ability to do anything, anywhere, anytime. He does. And he makes a promise to us that I think sometimes we forget. So as we look at this, let's read in Matthew 28, 1 through 20. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to come back and look at his power, his patience, his purpose, and his promise. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tombs. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless His Word. <clears throat> you know, um, when you think about the resurrection, it, 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 our whole faith, it is our hinge point for it. Without the resurrection, it doesn't matter. Chuck Colson said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. I found that interesting. Uh-huh. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. 
Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me that 12 apostles kept a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I mean, you think about that. For 40 years, the disciples lived it out. They never wavered. They never wavered. There was a guy named uh, Thomas Arnold who was a professor at Oxford. He was a chair of modern history. He actually wrote three volumes on the history of Rome. He said, The evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece, carefully as every judge summing up a most important case. I have myself done it many, many times over, not to persuade others, but just to satisfy myself. I've been used to, I've been, I've used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about those events. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence than the great sign which God had given us, that Christ died and rose again from the dead, end quote. Think about it. Buddha died. Confucius died. Muhammad died. Joseph Smith died. They, they didn't resurrect. Jesus is the only religious leader in the history of the world that started a religious movement that resurrected, that people actually saw. That is, we have people have been trying to pour through this for thousands of years and have not been able to discredit it. They can say they don't believe it, but there's been nothing to discredit it. And I love what Colson says. You have these 12 guys who for 40 years endured all kinds of beatings and pain, you know, pain and suffering. Would they have done that had they walked with Him for three years and then didn't see the resurrection? I don't think so. I, I think it, it is the greatest single event in history. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're to be pitied. We're to be pitied. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, His Word's not true. Everything that we've studied, everything you've ever heard from the Bible, if Jesus did not ride, rise from the dead, it's not true. His payment's not valid. The Bible isn't true. The God of the Bible isn't true. Our sins aren't paid for if He didn't rise from the dead. So to rise from the dead, can you imagine what it must have been like? Mary Magdalene was the first one to see Him. It says that in Mark, the Mark account. She was the first one. Can you imagine what that would have been like for a second? I want you to go there in your mind for a second. To, I mean, think of somebody that you've treasured in your life that is no longer with us. Yeah. I think for her, it's even it's 
it's even bigger because of what you just said. That, that if he didn't rise from the dead, then the God of the Bible isn't true. None of it's true. And she had been delivered from seven demons. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's thinking to herself, this is an educated guess, I really haven't been delivered from those demons. I'm about well, they could come back. back. Exactly I'm right. Coming back. I'm going back into the sewer from which I came, and, and this is all, you know, he has to be alive. Well, she was sad. I mean, she, she, she was sorrowful. The Bible says that she was sorrowful. And here's the thing, guys. There, I, I count, and there's some debate on how many post-resurrection appearances there were. Just because they're not in Scripture doesn't mean that there weren't more. But when I went through, I counted 12 of significance that I was able to, to pull out. 12 different post-resurrection appearances to different people. And I'm going to go through them with you because I think they all show us a different aspect of this power as it relates to us, to you and me. And sometimes I don't think we think about the power of the resurrection being able to help us in our life now, but that is the power. Jesus said that uh, when He dies, that the Comforter is going to come to us because He dies. And the disciples didn't want Him to go. I'm sure Mary Magdalene didn't want Him to go. I'm sure others did not want Him to go. So when Mary Magdalene heard that, you know, when He died, she saw Him die. And she was bringing spices. She was so hoping. But I don't think she came to the tomb that day thinking He was resurrection. She came to the tomb that day to bring more spices. She came to pay honor to Him because He was a a man who was a great prophet of God who had done good things for her, and, and she just wanted to pay him honor. But her appearance over in Mark 16, chapter, chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, it says he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Here's what happened. So the women are going to the tomb. They get there. Mary Magdalene sees the tombstone rolled away, this two-ton stone rolled away. There's an angel there. She doesn't even bother. She beats feet and runs back to tell the disciples. Somebody's stolen the body. We know that from the other account. She goes back thinking grave robbers have come in and taken Jesus' body to desecrate or whatever, but she goes to tell the disciples. And then she comes back. And when she comes back, she meets Jesus. And it says that she was sorrowful. But then Jesus appeared to her. And Mark 16. And He has the power to take away our sorrow. When she saw Him, what do you think she did? She did what everybody did when they saw Him. They worshipped Him. And Matthew brings out twice in this passage what people did when they saw the resurrected Jesus. It said twice they worshipped. Why? Because He was Messiah King. He was the King. That was the whole point of Matthew. That's why he doesn't focus on a lot of the other stuff. The the three Gospel writers, remember, are writing to different audiences. And what is Matthew's focus? Jesus was King. He he was King, and a King is to be worshipped. So the two examples in Matthew that we read a while ago where people see Him, they worship. But His power took away Mary's sorrow. He said, don't be sad. Don't be sorrowful. But the second account was the other women returning from the tomb, and that was here in Matthew 28. And you know what? He says to them, don't be afraid. 
Not only is it power to overcome sorrow, it's power to overcome fear. And fear is the exact opposite of faith. It's not doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's fear. Fear. And fear keeps us as men from doing so many things. We're afraid. And you know what I see in, in Jesus? He loves it when people step out in faith. Look at Peter. How many times did Peter mess up? But I think God loved that. He goes, you know, like my mom would say, bless his heart, you know. <laughs> oh, 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 Peter, you know, he kept trying. He wanted to, he wanted to do things for the Lord. He just kept doing it in his own strength. And God understands that. But he, Peter, Peter was not afraid. He stepped out of that boat. He took a step to get out of the boat when nobody else would. Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And he took a step. The power of the resurrection means, guys, that we have the power not to be afraid. We don't have to fear the stock market falling a thousand points. We don't have to fear the diagnosis of going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis that says you're terminal. They told my daughter she was terminal for seven years of her life. And she's turning 15 this summer. They told her she'd never live past seven years old. And, and doctors don't know. People don't know. Only God knows. And that doesn't mean you're going to be healed of every sickness. It doesn't mean your bank account's going to be full and overflowing. It doesn't mean you're going to have everything you want. But He gives us the power, and the resurrection reveals that the power He has... My goodness, look at this. It says uh, in verse 2, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended. When that angel came down, guys, the earth shook. The earth shook. There is no... You know what? One angel could wipe out the entire world if he wanted. Because the angel represents God and takes God's and dispenses God's power wherever he wants. There, think about this. There is no army in the world, no air force in the world, no navy in the world. <coughs> nothing that can come against an angel. That one angel in the Old Testament wiped out 180,000 men like that. And we think we're so tough. And angels, angels do the bidding of who? God. And, and it even says that they do what Jesus says. They are under His authority. And so they have the power. We don't have to fear anything. So I don't know if you've got fear right now in your life about anything, but you don't have to fear whatever it is. And he proves that with the women. Well, there was also Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. And you know what that, that, that appearance was? That's over in Luke 24. <clears throat> Discouragement. They were discouraged. Remember what was going on? They were walking down the road. Jesus just slips up on them. I love that story. It's so great. They're just walking. They're discouraged. Man, you know, they're talking back and forth about what happened. And what are you guys talking about? Oh, don't you know what happened today? He was the only one that really knew what happened today. <laughs> and they're like, don't you know? Are you the only one in, in Israel that doesn't know this? And, and I mean, he said he was going to, you know, this great guy who had said all these great things, and he said, you know, he was going to, we thought he was going to be the one. And besides that, it's the third day. In other words, what he said didn't come true. And they're feeling discouraged. And maybe sometimes we feel like that. 
We do. We feel like, you know, I, I, I read the Bible. I go to church. Why, why, why am I having such relational problems in my family? Why am I so struggling with my job? Why am I doing this? I, I, I feel like I'm doing all these right things and God's just not coming through. His power can overcome discouragement too. And Jesus comes right along, puts his arm around and says, let me boys tell you a story. And he starts in the Old Testament. And he starts taking them through the Scriptures. And see, that's part of the issue for you and me. And I'm going to tell you, when I didn't spend time in the Word, and I didn't know what this book said, it was very easy for me to live discouraged. And it doesn't mean that it's a panacea, that it just solves all your problems to go and... I'm not talking about just giving a Bible verse a day and and having some fluffy feeling. Listen, life's hard. I'm just going to tell you. When you have... the Everybody in here has life situations that's tough in different ways. We all struggle. And and sometimes, I, I know people think, because I stand up here and I teach this, that I'm always feeling spiritual. But can I just tell you, there are so many days that I walk into my house and I go, I just want to get on an airplane and go to the other side of the world. I'm so tired of listening to girls chatter. By the way, Billy, I have six daughters. Okay? And my mother-in-law lives with me. I mean, I don't think life can get much worse. Here on earth, anyway. I'm going to have to edit that out. Yeah. But His power overcomes discouragement. And, and guys, I go into the Word, and when I read the Word, I'm reminded of what He did for me and the fact that this temporary stuff I have to deal with is nothing compared, like Paul says, to what awaits on the other side. And the power of the resurrection reminds me that if He can take this dead body of Jesus after it's battered, after it's been brutalized, and raise it again, He can do anything. He can do anything. But we also see in the fourth appearances to Peter in Luke 24 also. And that's significant. It's also mentioned over in 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, when Paul's recounting the resurrection and who he appeared to. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, Paul did not allude to the women in in 1 Corinthians 15. Did you see that? If you've ever read 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about Peter, he talks about James, he talks about 500. He doesn't mention Mary Magdalene because they're not credible witnesses in that culture. God said they're credible, but Paul understood that the readers would see that and didn't, and he didn't mention it, but not the gospel writers. That's why I think they're not making this stuff up. But he appears to Peter, and you know what he deals with with Peter? Failure. I'm going to stand with you. He put his arm around Peter. Peter, you wimp. (laughs) I told you. I told you. I tried to tell you. Satan's ass to sift you. You wouldn't listen, you big knucklehead. Come over here. Puts his arm around him. That's what I picture. Not a hammer sitting up there. Guys, when we blow it, the best thing about Scripture to me, all the different examples of men in the Bible, is failure is never final. 
So I don't care how bad you've blown it. It it doesn't matter with God. What matters is, is you keep getting back up and coming to Him. You come to Him. And that's that's what Peter... Lord, where else are we going to go? But it shows us power over failure. Then He appeared to the disciples without Thomas, by the way, who were huddled in a house. They were afraid. This is over in uh, uh, John chapter 20. Verse 19. But they're huddled in a house that says they were afraid because the Jewish leaders were, were out there and they were afraid of them. And He gives us power over persecution too. Listen, you follow Christ, you're going to be persecuted. But He says, I can take care of that. And He shows us that He can do that. One guy wasn't there, oh, Thomas, when that happened. Thomas is a doubter. We know that. He's skeptical. And he... He goes, listen, I'm not going to see until I believe till I see the hands and the, the, the feet and the, the side. I got, I got to see that stuff, guys. And eight days later, what happens? He pops right back. And what does he show us there? He's got power over doubt. He can handle your doubts. You, you, can, you can verbalize your doubts to him. You, you don't have to just blindly go, I believe when you really don't be honest with him. At least Thomas was honest. He said, guys, I don't, I'm struggling to believe this. And he's big enough to handle that power of the resurrection is powerful enough to deal with all of our doubts. And in John 20, 26, eight days later, he appeared. He says, Thomas, kill this, man. I love picturing this stuff, man. I mean, could you just imagine? Thomas is like, oh no. <laughs> he really did. Do you think he was a little fearful when, that, when he popped in the room there? Because he remembered what he said. And that's why he said, my Lord and my God. And he fell on his face. He was humbled. Then he appeared to seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee. He'd already appeared to them once. He told them to go where? To Galilee to wait. What were they supposed to be doing? Waiting on a mountain for him. And Peter, sitting up there going, man, he's never come. Come on, guys, let's go fishing. And he takes the guys... Instead of being where they should be, they're down fishing. How much did they catch that day? They weren't catching anything. You know why? Because if you're not doing God's will, it ain't going to work out probably too well for you if you're His kid. I'm just telling you. If you keep trying to go down roads where God doesn't want you to go, then it ain't going to work out too well and you're going to be scratching your head going, I don't understand. Man, I'm using the right bait. I'm out here and this is the right time. This is the best spot. And it just ain't working. It's because He's in control of everything, even the fish that come into the net. <laughs> and He said, no. Peter, you should have been up on the mountain. Hey, throw the net on the other side. Oh my gosh, it's Him again. It is Him. He is here. Because maybe they thought what they saw was a vision. Maybe they thought it was a ghost. But what He deals with there is He even has the power to overcome distractions. And the enemy brings distractions into our life to try to get us off track. To get us off from what God wants us to do. But then He appears to the eleven disciples on the mountain. And I find it interesting that it mentions that in the passage we read today and then it throws in but some doubted. This is more than just doubt. You know what this is? This is skepticism now. This is, this is to people who have already seen Him 
And they have people there, people there who have seen him not once, but twice or three times, who are telling them, man, they're talking about it. But they're people, you ever have that person in the group, the, the Debbie Downer? You're telling them everything, and they're just like, oh, I don't believe it, man. I just don't believe it. But you saw it. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It was a vision or a ghost or something. It wasn't real. Yeah, but he told us to wait here. And they're the ones who were instigating in the group, agitating the group, trying to get the group to go in the different direction and bring them down. He's got the power to even overcome that skepticism. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to 500 people. That was also in Galilee. And then uh, to James, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to James, not James, the son of Zebedee, but James, his family member. Some people say it's his brother. Many people believe it's his brother, his half-brother. Some people believe it's his cousin. It doesn't matter whether it's his cousin or brother. What matters is he was in the family. The word there is a family term. He was in the family of God and he denied him. He did not believe him. And this is dealing with family failure. And a lot of us as men struggle with family failure. And he gives us the power to even overcome that. And he appeared to James and it is said that in 1 Corinthians. And James ended up becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Then he appeared to the disciples at the ascension over in Acts chapter 1. This is the last time before he goes up. He, and he, he goes up and they're sitting there and they're looking. They're not wanting to leave. They're just looking up in the sky. Why? Because they don't want him to leave. They're feeling insecure. They've been with him. They've seen him. He's talked to them several times. Now they all are on board. But wait a minute. He's going. We're watching him go away and we don't want him to go away. We want him to stay and they're feeling insecure. And he's got power to overcome our insecurity if you'll trust him. And then the last appearance I got was in Acts chapter 9 to this guy named Saul who was persecuting the church. He's got power to overcome religion. Paul was a very religious guy. But he was not in a relationship with the Creator the way he should be. And he has the power to deal with that. And he did. Those are the 12 appearances. And guys, I think they're all good illustrations of the power that God wants to unleash in our life and that He reveals through the resurrection. But also we see in this text His patience. Look in verse 7. What does it say? It says, The angel tells the ladies, Go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He's going before you to Galilee. And it says, verse 8, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They were joyful because of Jesus seeing Him, but why were they fearful? They had left Him. There was no angel there to be afraid of. They were going to do what Jesus said. Some people think they were afraid to tell the disciples. Because what, what had the disciples been doing? Where should they have been? They should have been with them. They should have been there on Calvary. The women, think about this. The women were there with Him in ministry. The women were there with Him when He was being crucified. The women were there. They were the first ones at the grave. Where were the disciples? They weren't. 
And the women, I think, they were fearful for these men. They were just thinking, but this was God. They, 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 they had not been faithful to God. And what does Jesus do? He stops and appears to them, it says. And He said, greetings. And they came up took hold of His feet. And it says in verse 10, Do not be afraid, He says. Go and tell who? My brothers. He doesn't say disciples. Go and tell my brothers. A term of endearment. He is so patient. In the resurrection, we see His patience and kindness coming out. Guys, do you realize as we've worked through Matthew back in Matthew 6, back in Matthew 8, in Matthew 14, and also in Matthew 16, He used this term, O you of little faith. Over and over and over again. He kept having to come back to these guys who walked with Him 24-7 and correct them on their faith and, and, and try to you know, admonish them. And here He is again. He, he's having to... These ladies are going to them and He's just saying, go tell my brothers. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee. He's so patient with us. And we're so fearful of Him sometimes. And He just wants us to understand He's a patient God. He's patient and merciful. Now what's funny to me over in Mark 16 when the women came back and told Him, this is crazy. Mark 16, 13, when they came back and told them, says they didn't believe Him. They were the first people to deny the resurrection. You know that? The very ones who were going to carry it to the rest of the world. And, and that's encouraging to me because have there ever been times in your life where you deny knowing Jesus or you maybe by your actions deny knowing Jesus in front of other people that you should have been bold? I have. And that's very encouraging to me that they did that, but He still loved them and still used them and changed the world with these men. And, and we, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on what the Pharisees did. I will say this, that a hundred years after this event happened, after the resurrection, there was still there was a, a Jewish historian <clears throat> writing about a, an interaction between, I mean, I'm sorry, a Roman historian writing about an interaction between a Jewish guy and a Roman person. And they were arguing over the resurrection and the Jewish guy was still bringing up this argument that his disciples came in the night and took the body away. A hundred years later. And what's crazy is if they were asleep, how did they know the disciples did it? It makes no sense. If you're asleep, how do you know who did anything? Do you know anything in your sleep? And if you're asleep and you're a Roman soldier, it's a death sentence. Yeah. It is. Especially if they, if, you, if they take the thing that you're stealing. But my, my point is, if they're asleep, they have no way of knowing who took it. Right? How do they know anything? Listen, evil people will always spread lies and slander against God's people. But we can glorify Christ by living out our faith and demonstrating goodness before our enemies. Remember what Peter says? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Guys, can I just tell you, you don't have to defend Jesus. Just be a witness of who He is. 
Live a, live a life worthy of the calling that He's given you and be a witness to what He's done. His power, His patience, and then in verse 9 and 17, actually, verse, we, it's verse 16 through 20, but I want to reference verse 9. We see His purpose. His purpose, guys, is to make worshipers throughout the world. That's, that's the purpose the, when the resurrection happened, it was to show that there's this is a new, this is a new era, a new covenant. This is a new thing. This is not like the old way. There are going to be people that are going to worship God now because of Jesus Christ, not, not because of His great deliverance in the Old Testament from Egypt, but because of what Jesus did personally for each one of us. The gospel is a very personal thing. God is infinite, but He's very personal. And that's what we see in this purpose. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. The word go means as you are going. It's assuming you're going. Not, it's not really saying that like you should go. It's saying as you are going, make disciples. And remember when I talked about the difference between Hebrew disciple and the Greek disciple? A Greek disciple is about information and learning. The Hebrew disciple was about being in a community, about being in a community around the Word with a passion, and here's the key, a passion to be like the teacher. That's the difference. That's why he says, teach them all that I commanded them. But what else does he say? He says you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptizing them is bringing them into the family, showing that they're apart, they're separate from the world. The baptism is nothing more than a, a visible demonstration of what's taking place on the inside. That I'm adopted as God's child and I'm in His family and now I'm in this community. I was with a person the other day talking to them about their husband. And they made the statement to me, oh, he's a very antisocial person. He's not a bad guy, just doesn't like people. <laughs> you hear the irony in that? He's not he's a really good guy, he just doesn't like people. Can I ask you why be on earth? Really? Just to do your thing without any interaction? Is, is, is think about what a miserable existence that is. And I can just tell you as I drive by him every day, I pray for him every day. I see miserableness because of the hunger that God put in His heart to worship Him. And, and, and when I say make worshipers, it's not to make people go to church. It's to make worshipers, people that really worship. Twice in this text, twice, verse 9 and verse 17, when they saw Jesus, they saw His beauty, they worshiped. The problem is we got people looking at Jesus like this, in this, Instead of opening the window, seeing the grand mountain right outside. They're trying to see it in a little screen. doesn't look near as grand in a little screen. But when you see it outside, you worship. You go, wow. 2 Timothy 2.2 says what? Find faithful men, Timothy. Paul tells him, go find faithful men, teaching them everything that I've, I've taught you, and then find men who will teach other people. Matthew 4.19 says, Jesus says, follow Me and I'll make you. He doesn't say learn about Me. He says, follow Me. 
And then in verse 20, he gives us his promise. He says, I'm with you always. I will be with you always to the end of the age. I think about going all the way back to Genesis. Remember what he told Jacob back in Genesis 28? He said, Jacob, I'm not going to leave you. Jacob had to work for 14 years wondering if he was going to survive. When he came back to meet Esau, he had to wonder if he was going to survive that, but he thought Esau would probably kill him. But God preserved him all the way through. Why? Because it was an unfolding plan of God. Guys, He has a plan for each of our lives. And when He says, I will be with you, I will never leave you or forsake you, I will be with you till the end of the age, your end of the age may come sooner than mine or it may come later than mine. It really doesn't matter here on earth. But He will be with us through that time. And I'm going to tell you, I, I told my girls the other night, I was talking to them about this. I said, I have never felt God's absence in my life except when I try to go away from Him and I feel distance. But it's not because Him not being there. He's always there. I try to push Him out so I can do things I want to do in my life that He doesn't want me to do. So I disregard Him, but He's never left me. He's always been there. Always. John 14, 16 says, I'm sending you a helper that will be with you forever. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from His love, guys. That is... The resurrection shows us that. And I'm going to close with this. Tim Keller summed it up best when he said, the difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of His resurrection is the difference between knowing a person and resembling a person. It's not about a relationship, but about a supernatural character growth, Paul says, that I want to know Him. What he's talking about is I want to be with Him. When he says, I want to know the power of His resurrection, it means I want to be just like Him. Look at the deadness in our lives. Look at the anger that we express. How can that be turned into forgiveness? Look at the insecurity in our life. How is that going to be turned into confidence? Look at the self-centeredness. How is that going to be turned into compassion and generosity? How? The answer is that dead stuff gets taken over by the Spirit of God. The minute we decide to receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. It is the power of the resurrection. It's the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Guys, that's the point. The same thing that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is the same power that can live in you on a daily basis. I don't know if you believe that. I don't hope you do but I'm telling you it's true but you don't get there by intellectual genius you get there by faith you don't have to understand it all same way you don't understand about a plane I can tell I, I, I flew planes in the military I can tell you how planes work I can't tell you how this works but I use it you may not be able to tell me how a plane works but you use it he says, will you have faith? Will you trust in me? He died for us so that we could have the power of the resurrection in our life. The question is, 
Are you appropriating that power on a day-to-day basis? Remember, what has God said to you today about his power in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder today that you offer us this resurrection power in our lives. And I pray for each man, Lord, we all have different things going on. There's different things we've done. There's different things we're experiencing right now. But Lord, I pray first, we would like the thief on the cross acknowledge that we are not worthy, that we don't deserve anything except death. But we cry out to you as he did and we say, remember us. And if you're here today and that's never been something you've done, can I just encourage you right now to take a moment to tell him that in your own words, in the quietness of your heart. He hears you. He knows your thoughts. And if you're carrying a burden, I don't care whether it's fear, sadness, insecurity, failure, doubt, skepticism, any of those things we talked about, just give that to him and leave that on the cross today. And let the power of His resurrection give you freedom from those things. Father, thank You for the reminder that the same power that brought Jesus to resurrection and gave Him the new life will do that for us. can give us new life in all these areas of our life in a perfect life. Not this side of heaven, but one day when we are with you, we will experience that. The same thing he experienced his whole life. So thank you for this time, Lord. We lift up and pray for Deborah Cleland, who's still fighting cancer. We just ask for your mercy on her. Uh, Lord, we uh, also um, pray for God's protection and favor for our brother here. And uh, pray for... Uh, pray for the Pope and pray for safe travels for um, our brother's family. Mm. We pray, um, Father, that uh, our brother would continue to be a follower of Jesus and to be the man that God called him to be in his family and pray that we would all be those men. We would be warriors for you. We love you. We praise you. And... uh, to you be the glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.